CBHDD is reminding people that the Georgia Crisis and Access Line can help those worried about opioid and stimulant misuse. The toll-free number is online and is active 24-7. More information at opioidresponse.info. From Georgia Public Broadcasting, this is On Second Thought. I'm Virginia Prescott. That is Lee Moses singing Got That Will. It's from his album Time and Place, released in 1971. You may not be familiar with his name, but maybe heard his music. He performed with the likes of James Brown, Jimi Hendrix, and Gladys Knight. Despite his will and his talent, Lee Moses' own career never really took off. His memory and the Atlanta soul scene where he was known has faded. A new documentary hopes to change that. Simon David is a Swiss-American filmmaker and the man behind the documentary In Progress. It's also called Time and Place, and he's joining me now in the studio. Hello, welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. Well, thank you for being here. Also here is Doris Moses, looking really much better than anyone should at this hour in the morning. (laughs) Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you. Simon, I want to start with you on a little background on Lee. Sure. Raised in Atlanta, one of eight siblings. He went to Booker T. Washington High and taught, him, taught himself to play multiple instruments and to read music. Was the rest of his family musical? Yeah, actually, um, he came from a family of eight siblings. And all of them kind of played music together and would go to church every Sunday and would sing the gospel and... Lee had a father uh, named Joseph Moses who used to be in the military and would play music over there. And that's what Donya Moses, uh, Lee's sister, was telling me about maybe where that came from. But the most important thing is the church background. They would do, and even when Lee would play music during his big time here in Atlanta and even in New York, he would do a lot of gospel. He would sometimes do about 30 minutes of gospel. So, yeah, it's a very important background, the music. And, you know, all the most of the music genres come from gospel. Especially R&B, rock and roll, that kind of music. Well, yeah. here is his longtime friend, Reverend Donald High, talking about his soulful voice. Lee had a sound that was just, just so unique. He had that, that growl and gruff rough, that ugly gravel sound. He, he had that old country preacher sound, you know. And uh, as a matter of fact, he loved gospel. Well, Doris, I'm wondering, your husband, Lee, you met him later in life, but what did he tell you about the origins growing up singing in church? Well, he was, during that time, we all had to go to church. <laughs> if you were sick, you had to go to church. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, his mother, Elise, all of them, I didn't know their father because when I met Lee, his father had passed. But um, they said they lived in church, Mm -hmm. so I I didn't know that much about him. And all the time uh, we were in school, I went to Archer, and he went to um, Booker T. T. Washington, Mm -hmm. yeah. So I didn't know him then. And I only met Lee, um, I can't remember the year that I met him in now, 
um, been quite some time ago. Well, by that time, he had cut his teeth in the music clubs of Atlanta. Yes. Uh, he traveled between Atlanta and New York, recorded as a regular session musician with other Atlanta natives. Johnny yeah. Brantley, musician Herman Hitson, all recorded with Jimi Hendrix. What did you find out about that time of his life, Simon? Well, to correct you, uh, Johnny Brantley was his producer, mm -hmm. actually, and so he spent a lot of time in New York, and that's where he did most of his recording. And, yeah, so one of his most famous songs, Bad Girl. What I can say about Lee's music is that it's more than only soul. It's got this psychedelic and very rock and roll kind of uh, feeling. And what I understood also doing this and making this documentary is that Lee's music is... Um, it's got this very rock and roll vibe, and and he was maybe not on the right market, and that's why maybe he never made it out there, because mm. being on a soul scene wasn't necessarily the right place to be for him. He was the only one of the only black African musicians with Jimi Hendrix, of course, to play such a psychedelic and rock and roll genre. Well, here's his sister from the documentary that you're working on. Donya is her name. She says Gladys Knight and the Pips wanted Lee to be their guitar player, turned him down. But here she is talking about the time he opened for James Brown. He took me with him when he played with James Brown. And I remember we were sitting at the table. James Brown told him, that's the last time you ever coming out before me. He said, man, you killed it. You left me with having to pick up the pieces because you just killed it. Well, James Brown was not a man that took well <laughs> to being in second place. Doris, you know, how did Lee talk about this part of his life, playing with these unbelievable musicians? Oh, it, he used to talk about all of the... I cannot tell you half of the musicians that he used to tell me about because half of them I've forgotten their names. Mm -hmm. But um, I remember about Gladys Knight. I also remember about James Brown. And um, uh, I want to think, I can't think of the other uh, musicians. There was B.B. King also. He, he played a, with B.B. King? Yes, B.B. Uh -huh. King. A huge show at the Royal Peacock. Mm -hmm. It was two massive guys on stage with lots of papa also, who was another musician from... That era? Well, yeah, and you're talking about an Atlanta that had this, you know, deep soul music scene. There was a, you know, whole southern soul circuit, the sort of Bobby Boo Bland, Little Willie John, you know, these great performers that were pretty much regional. Uh, some of them did have national hits, and, and Lee was making records of his own and then put out that 1971 album, yeah. Time and Place. You said that he... Didn't he maybe was too psychedelic? He was too out there for that time. But let's just hear a couple, uh, a little of some of his music. He did a number of covers in his career yeah. Day Tripper by the Beatles, uh, Hey Joe, the Jimi Hendrix song. And the album also has a deeply just yearning version of California Dreaming. Let's hear just a little bit of that. Oh, 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 yes, I did. 
lovely Moses version of California Dreaming. You know, it's like this syrupy pop song on some level, uh, except he made it his own. How, how, how do you, what do you think his draw was to these kind of covers? I think it's amazing how um, Lee, the songs he chose to make really reflect in some way the life he had. He made this, um, uh, he covered this song by James Carr called The, the Dark, Dark End, End of, of the, the Street. Street. That's a brilliant song. And he really reappropriated himself these songs. And when you hear The Dark End of the Street, it has nothing to do with the original one. And yeah, what fascinated me is also how visual these stories are, how, yeah, they tell his life and they are really visual. And a song got, like God That Will fascinated me because his will to be a star one day, well, I took it with me and wanted to to make it come true, yeah. Mm. So how did you discover him? You're a Swiss man. Yeah. Did you grow up in Switzerland or here? Yeah, I grew up in Switzerland and spent a couple of years in Belgium. So the first thing is that Lee Moses is well more known in Europe than he is here. And I've gone through all Spotify, Apple Music, all the streaming uh, statistics. And so what interested me is how this guy was really more famous in abroad than in his home town. And so I started interesting myself in the city of Atlanta and discovered how transforming it was and how even now you can see uh, how fast it's transforming and with all the gentrification going on. And this is also what interested me is to put Lee Moses in a context of the current time and just to show how all these music scene, all these music clubs he played are gone, like Mommy's Diner, American Legion. All these clubs were in Bankhead, and now Bankhead is like the center of transformation. So it really interested me to see how Lee Moses had a complex relationship to the city of Atlanta. That's a Swiss-American filmmaker Simon David. He's making a documentary about Atlanta soul musician Lee Moses called Time and Place. Also joining me is Doris Moses. She's the widow of Lee Moses. Doris, do you remember the first time you heard his music? Yes. I was um, didn't know him at the time. And um, some friends and I, we all went to this club and... I can't remember the song, the name of the uh, song that he was singing. But anyway, I told someone, I said, oh, I said, he sounds just like the guy that made the, this song, this record. And they looked at me and said, he is. <laughs> my mouth flew open. I said, oh, my God. You know, I just couldn't imagine. And then um, the next time, <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> um, Donnie and I went to a club, and uh, when I walked in, he was playing. He broke three strings off his guitar. <laughs> that has to be a good sign. <laughs> and he did not go back on stage that night. He had on white, and I had on white and yellow. And he talked to me the whole time. He wasn't even worried about the strings to go on his guitar. He wanted to talk to me. And for a year, I believe it was, before 
we was just friends. I we would go to the club and talk and stuff. But then I guess about two years later, he and I started dating. Mm. And it went from there. But Lee was an amazing person. Yeah, it sounds like it. And what comes through his music is pretty amazing. Yes. But... Did he, you know, you met him after the record came out and didn't do as well or, you know, wasn't really recognized in the way that he'd hoped. Was he hopeful that his career would still yes. have a chance to pick up? Yeah. Yes, he was. You know, he has, he made one, I was telling uh, Simon about it, I'm going to be a star Yeah. one day. Mm-hmm. And uh, really and truly, he, he is a star. But he should have been a star to, to, you know, where people knew him like, okay, Gladys Knight, she's a star. I went to school with Gladys Knight. Mm -hmm. But she had hits, you know, she had hit after hit. She was on television. Absolutely, absolutely. This is also a time Lee did start getting into drugs, um, Mm -hmm. and including heroin, Mm -hmm. also a diabetic, so it hit his body even harder. Doris, what was it like for you to see this man so talented um, in the throes of addiction? It was very painful. It was hurting because it was not the man that I knew. Mm. It was, uh, you know, drugs, anything can take you from yourself. And it was not, he was no longer Lee. You know, so it it was painful to see him like that. And um, with him being sick, I believe drugs contributed to that. Why do you think, Simon, this man, you you mentioned that he's much bigger in Europe, but that's true of a lot of old rhythm and blues stars, you know, where records are collected. But why do you think... The memory of people like Lee, especially someone as talented as he, is fading. There's nothing really commemorating his influence. Not at all. And yeah, so my first interest was to see how there's very few to be seen on the internet about Lee. But when I got here, I could see all these music clubs that I've been talked about gone. And there was barely any physical traces of him left And yeah, and even in his family, um, some members hadn't been see- seeing each other. The memory was kind of lost in some way also. So, yeah. So I got here, and it's a story that has to be told because it's a memory that has to be remembered. And, yeah, it really touched me to to see all these people coming back together to m- memorize Lee. And this is why we're also having this little tribute show on a Thursday at the Masquerade. Yes, so this is a a film. You're going to film this concert on Thursday, a tribute to Lee Moses held at the Masquerade. Number of contemporary Atlanta musicians playing. Okay, so free. That's especially good to know. But you're a young white man from Europe making a documentary about this lost part of African-American culture. An outsider. So how do you approach the subject in a way that authentically reflects a time and place, especially because it's just remembered by everybody? Yeah. Well, it's a good question, and I'm very conscious about being a white guy making a documentary about African-American culture. But I feel like I have privilege of telling these stories that um, an African-American wouldn't necessarily have. So I feel like I need to give my voice to other people's voice, and that's why I'm making this documentary. And Yeah. 
What is it like for you, Doris, to see your I, husband's legacy in this, in this I film? I know. I know. You know, I was telling someone, I'm, it's very seldom that I am lost for words. Mm-hmm. But when Simon started talking to me and stuff, I, I mean, even to now, I'm just overwhelmed. I am. I am. I'm gonna have to stop for right now because well, um, I, I do. I tear up a little, you know. Well, <laughs> it's a huge thing, uh, a huge project, and I really want to thank you for sharing those words with us, Doris. Thank you, Doris Moses. She's mm-hmm. the widow of Lee Moses, the subject mm-hmm. of a documentary film in progress. Simon David, the filmmaker, is with us. Thank you very much for being with us. Thank you. For and us. we have some details on the show at the Masquerade on Thursday. And we're going to leave you with a title track from Moses' 1971 album and the namesake of the documentary about him, Time, Time and, place. and Place. Yeah, thank you. We got the shallow in secrecy.